Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. My guest today is Aiki Chan. She's the Chief Presentation Officer and Founder of Aiki Studios. She's also a minimalistic cartoonist, a corporate comedic speaker, and a mindset coach. Aiki's mission is to help people shine. She was born and raised in Hong Kong, and as a high schooler, she moved to the United States alone to achieve her family mission to shine brighter than anyone had before her. As a first-generation college graduate and knowledge worker, Aiki learned firsthand how to use presentations to elevate her ideas and career. From getting paid to complete a dual master's degree in engineering to becoming a corporate leader of a multinational tech program with tens of thousands of employees are just a few examples. Aiki is a trained stand-up comedian and cartoonist who infuses humor in her talks to educate, entertain, and transform our audience. As a presentation consultant, Aiki helps professional speakers and trainers shine by elevating their slide decks to showcase their true magnificence and expertise so they can achieve the success they deserve. The presentations Aiki's clients and she have created have transformed thousands of people's lives and moved many global organizations forward. Through mindset coaching, Aiki helps corporate professionals and entrepreneurs to achieve greater success, fulfillment, and happiness at work and in life. Aiki Chan and I had a great conversation around the different chapters our story has had and all the insights and strategies that she shares are from our personal experiences, but they are also great recommendations to follow. Looking forward to sharing this talk with you. Are you a corporate professional who is an immigrant or a child of immigrant? Are you looking for a community of support to advance your corporate career? Immigrants Incorporate, IIC, is a nonprofit that is building a community for you. Come and join us on Facebook. The Facebook group is Immigrants Incorporate. Belong and thrive in the workplace. See you there. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. I am looking forward to my conversation with Aiki Chan today, but first I wanted to tell you that you are amazing. Yes, we are all amazing. And if you're not on video, which most people listening to this are not on video, what I was showing was a mug that says you are amazing that is from Aiki. So if you go to our YouTube page, you are able to see the video and take a look at it. It's, you know, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get into the groove and we keep working and don't let me go into my spiel. I know we're going to do a lot of that. But Aiki, thank you so much for sending this over. So my I got to pleasure. open it in front of her. And she had a smile card with it. And, you know, these things do make a lot of difference. So I appreciate you. 
All right, Aiki. So let's dive right in. Thank you so much for coming on to have a conversation with me today. Um, let's get to meet you. You know, tell us a little more about your background. Yes, my honor to be here. Before I start, I would love for the audience to the listener, your audience, to really, you know, relax, open your mind and in your heart to really listen in. There's no accident that we, we spend this time together, even though this is recording. So um, if something you're drawn to, I would like to ask you to think about why, why do I resonate with this? What's in it? And be super curious and really listen to your inner voice. So I'm here to share my experience. I'm not telling you what to do. And I, I believe there's something in it and we can share humanness together and uplift each other. So my, um, my story, so I was born and raised in Hong Kong uh, with a very strict family parent. I'm the oldest in my family, the oldest in my father's family, so the oldest, oldest grandchild in my family. Um, so I was a born artist. As soon as I knew how to pick up a pencil, I started to draw people. I'm particularly drawn to their face, their eyes, their nose. So I would spend hours and hours studying human body and the face and facial expression. So I was really, really good at it. So my parents were proud and all that. Um, also, a typical Asian parent, um, my parents wanted me to be a medical doctor. <laughs> and I remember I watched a movie and like a doctor uh, performing surgery. So there was blood involved. And the five-year-old me was like, I, I don't want that. That uh, No, I'm a little scared. So no. So I remember as soon as I got home after the movie, I told my mom, you know, mom, guess what? I'm, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I forgot what she said to me. She was extremely disappointed. And um, next I remember going back to my memory was that one night, probably when I was six or right after that incident, that both of my parents sat me down, very serious, look at me like, you are going to the United States for school. You'll be very successful. You're going to shine. You'll be the brightest of anyone before you with your ancestor and us. And um, so that became my mission. I had no idea what United States meant. I just knew in my little brain, a six year old, um, oh, those people probably have blonde hair and blue eyes, light skin, um, and uh, it's a foreign country. And somehow I figured out they speak English, right? So I don't know how I got that idea. Um, remember, Hong Kong is a, before I left, it was still a Brit British colony. So it was a mix of the East and the West. And if people are familiar with Hong Kong, it's like, it's not, nothing like super Asian per se. So, so back to this point, so I knew I had to get good grade, right? And my little brain, imagine when you were six years old, your parents tell you, this is what you're gonna do. You don't question, you just carry the mission, okay? So, so my parents, my entire life, just prepare me for this mission. We, we were not rich, we were quite poor, if I look back. We had very little resources. And that's when my parents, especially my mom, taught me the importance to have the right intention, to have a vision. You kind of walk by faith, not by sight, not by your reality, not by the lack of resources. You keep looking into your vision. Like for her, I do not want my daughter to be uneducated, um, not having enough opportunity, like how she grew up and have a better life, right? Michelle Yeoh, uh, Hong Kong actress, got, got an Oscar. In her speech, she talked about that's exactly what her mom wanted her to do, to live a better life. That's all what mom wanted the kid to do. I have two children, so I would wish the same for my children. So kind of fast forward. So when I was a high schooler, the opportunity came. Uh, I went to the embassy a couple of times. I get granted permission to come to this country, United States. So I came as a high schooler in a public school. All international students need financial support or you need to approve that you have some kind of finance uh, before you can come, right? That's the deal. You, you need to have the money. 
So I had that. Unfortunately, I'm going to skip a lot um, without getting into all the details. So we kind of understand my journey, which some of them may may relate to. Um, roughly six months after I came here, the financial situation turned south, uh, which means money was not there. So I, I was like literally six months, spoke almost no English, okay? No one could understand me. I could hardly understand people. Look me like, why? Everybody in Hong Kong, they start learning English. Age of three, right? We started to go to uh, preschool. That's everybody started to go to school at three. Well, remember, most people in Hong Kong at the time, we learn English from a Hong Kong person. So think about that. Not a native person. So many of the things that now my son learned, my, my daughter learned English, I never I was never taught any of those. Never. So written, you know, English, um, reading, I have no problem because I went to a bilingual school. But speaking and listening, it was like uh, probably worse than a two-year-old. So I was pretty much stuck and I was very stubborn and determined because for me, my situation, I already burned the boat. Okay. I cannot go back to Hong Kong because I'll miss the open exam. I'll be much older than anyone else to go back and try to catch up that. So that was not an option. And thankfully, because it was not an option, I had to be as resourceful as my mother growing up, raising me and my family. Um, just look, keep looking forward, keep looking forward. Okay. Money is dry up. And then some of you may think, well, if you're not, um, like a international student coming here, you may not understand. Yeah. Like, well, just work at Taco Bell and uh, McDonald's and guess what? International students are not supposed to work. You can only work in your school. Right. Okay. I was still in high school. There's no job in high school. Okay. They won't pay me as a tutor, which I did when I was in college. So you can kind of understand, not that I didn't want to work myself to death, 80 hours a week and still go to school. That was not an option. So I kind of fast forward because of my mission was to complete higher education. My parents and my um, extended family, grandparent and all of them, they expected me to finish college. I was a first generation college grad. And also, uh, touch. I joined corporate America, which I'll get to that. So I'm also a first generation knowledge worker. I wouldn't say even white collar worker, knowledge worker, which is different. They require higher education and all that, maybe STEM and more professional per se. Right. So, right. so you can kind of see the journey, and um, I exceeded my parents' expectation. I, I got two master. As I look back at my life or the journey. I have no guidance. Think about that. If you're a first generation college grad, no one even remind you, you need to apply for college for crying out loud. You don't know. I moved here alone. I mean, I didn't know. I think somebody in high school, my classmates say, oh yeah, I'm applying for college. I'm like, what? Oh, you have to apply? Like that type of naiveness, right? I, I didn't know, I didn't know. Yeah. And um, so once I got into college, I studied chemical engineering. I sweep my major many times and I did not know most of the company at the time. Even if you wanted to do internship, require some kind of status. They wouldn't hire international student. Well, how would I know? No one told me. So I remember I got a letter in my dormitory from Kodak way back. They wanted more women engineers, right? I, I meet all the boxes. I went to um, the career center. I still remember there was a piece of paper you sign in. The lady at the front desk was super nice, asked for my name. Maybe I looked very international at the time. Very funny, right? You're like international student, no status on my forehead. <laughs> and she told me, are you an international student? I said, yeah, you're not allowed to interview. I said, why not? Well, they need citizens. They only hire citizens, even for internship. I cried. I went back to my dorm. I'm like, really, really? I cry. I didn't even, I couldn't even interview. So that I think many of you listening, you may have instant of that. You, you just, you don't qualify. You just don't even have the chance to show you're capable. Right, right. No, I think, I think for immigrants that are listening, you know, definitely relates to a lot of the scenarios that you're describing is things are not the same. 
you don't have a chance to even explain yourself or showcase your skills. Yes, yes. So that's one incident. And then as I was like, I think the uh, second to last year in college, again, no guidance, right? Do you know? How, how do I get a job? No clue. And I tried to get a uh, research, right? Went to uh, that summer, a uh, couple summer before I graduate, try to uh, knock on doors to get like free research. Like you're like free, you know, you try to get some experience so you can get a job. So not on many doors, many doors. Now I'm not, what I'm going to share, I do not want anyone to feel that, oh my gosh, those schools are so bad and all that. I'm describing my experience from a system perspective. Yeah. I went to three professors. They were the highest ranking with research dollar. I know if I got into any of them, I would have a better chance to land a job once I graduate. So I definitely look through those lists. I remember they asked me, what's your name? You know, they, they taught me. So they remember I, I was in their classes. They asked me a question. What do your parents do? And I remember sharing this story with some of my friends. What does it have anything to do with your parents? What do they do? Well, I, I wish my answer would be, well, my father is a richest man in Hong Kong with lots of power and um, dollars, lots of money. And uh, my mom is, I don't know, a lawyer, who knows, right? Or a doctor. My answer was not. Just ordinary uh, blue collar worker. You know, honest people try to make the ends meet. Because again, that's the system, right? They didn't, they wanted to get ahead, but the system would not let them. So that was my honest answer. And I didn't get any of them, three of them. So I have to go be strategic and not on a sister, um, department store. That is material science. Material science is next to chemical engineering. So I had to be resourceful again. Well, if I can't get into chemical engineering, I'll go sideways because no chemical engineering student will go there because it, they kind of look at as lower or they just don't think about it. Well, right. I need to be resourceful. What will my mom do? Well, just go sideways. Guess what? I knock on the door. He never even once asked, what do your parents do? I got the job. I work all summer without getting paid. I work all summer. This is this is in a different department, material science? Yes, but it is equivalent. So I, I did okay. research. So it is still the same cred credibility. Right. But right. I did legitimate research. Right. Right. So yeah. So so that's one point. And then as I approached like graduation, I realized I could not get a job. It's very difficult. I know the, um, I think policy changed now. I don't even, I lost touch because I graduated a while ago. And um, so I remember, I'm like, okay, if it's so hard for me to get a job with a four year degree, uh, maybe I, I should look for graduate school. So then again, I explore different options. And I remember calling my mother, I'm like, oh, um, I think I need to go to grad school because I don't think I can get a job here. And my mom told me that, you know, daughter, I, I'm sorry to tell you. There's no way for us to support you financially because it's really expensive. So I'm like, okay, well, I, I know I'll figure it out. And I did figure it out. And guess what? I applied to how many schools? I think two. Um, again, I, I want the listener to understand when you have a strong mission, you don't know how to get there. You keep being resourceful one step at a time. I knew nothing. I just know that at the time I wanted to be a software engineer after I graduate because I really like programming. But remember, I was stuck in chemical engineering. I didn't want to work in a chemical plant. Uh, here's another funny thing. I never wanted to become an engineer, but because my chemistry teacher saw my gift in chemistry and said, hey, I could usually consider chemical engineering. You, you will always get a job and you're really good with science and STEM. You do well. I, I didn't even ask what would I do as a chemical engineer? I am like, seriously, I didn't even ask. Right. right. When you're in school, you're so good academically. You just say, okay, if I do well in school, I'm sure I can get a good job. Right. right. That was my little. And you listen to the teachers. You listen to the big titles, right? That, that's yes. Good Again, the kind hearted teacher never worked outside of academia. And gave me that advice. 
Okay, it's from his perspective. That's the best I could do. Again, it's a kind-hearted advice. Okay, so I made my decision. I didn't even question. I switched my major. And then there I was. And once I got into the classes, then I started to figure out, ooh, I never imagined myself working in a chemical plant. I always imagined myself like kind of like a high rise in Hong Kong, like business center, be a business, like just like this to work. I'm like, oh no, what do I do? I can't change my major. So I kept going. Right? You, you make your decision sometime, you just have to finish that and see what happened. So, so I did that. So for grad school, I applied to two school, as I said, one school was like a postdoc, like a PhD. I knew what I wanted. So I wanted the listener to understand. I always knew what I wanted, even though I, I, I no one guided me. I always know what I wanted. So I'm like, okay, no way. I'm not spending four years because I my mission, remember my mission is to get a job, um, really build financial wealth. Okay, so that doesn't match. That's not quick enough. So I, I, I applied to another school and I got a fellowship for a master degree, which is almost unheard of, right? Because most of the school in graduate school, they want you to finish a, a PhD. So uh, I remember, I'm like, okay, they accepted me for chemical engineering. Um, I even asked them, would you consider me as a computer science? Do you have funding? Uh, very little funding in research. So uh, again, resourceful and creativeness, right? Uh, I was an artist. I, I kind of mentioned that. So I'm like, okay, what is the closest? I have a lot of friends in electrical engineering. They know programming a lot. They actually got hired as a software engineer after they finished college. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask them. I'm going to do a do master chemical engineering and electrical engineering. You get like uh, one person and deal. I promise you I'll graduate in two years. I promise you I will. So you already commit to paying me uh, to finish one degree. I'll do two. And they said, well, you may have to do two research. I said, so be it. You will have to write a thesis for two. So be it. Um, and then I remember the lady or somebody on the phone and say, again, very naive, right? Good that I was naive. Um, you just come here and then find an advisor from electrical engineering to sponsor you. So you have research funding so you can do it. So again, drove my U-Haul cross state. I mean, again, very naive. I think about, oh my gosh, just show up and just expect it will happen again. The burning the boat. Remember my analogy? I always burn my boat. There's no way out. My job is to land a resource assistantship in this electrical engineering group. Um, and then chemical engineering will pay for my fellowship, research. I get paid every month, two years. So I did finish that. So you finished with the electrical engineering and the chemical engineering master. Wow. Yes. And I did um, a variety of research to meet the requirement. So um, all the students, when you defend your thesis, you need two professors. Mm-hmm. Again, like, okay, I'm doing two majors, so I need to find four professors to agree that I qualify to uh, graduate. So that's when I really sharpen up my presentation skill. Right? Okay, uh, present my thesis that I work on for over, like, well over a year and a half, and I deserve to get two degrees. Wow. That's I remember I, my heart was like pounding after my presentation, getting grilled by like four professors all male, right? Intimidating. Um, and then my, my advisor from chemical engineering, Jim, and he said, okay, now, um, why don't you step out of the room? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it and then make a decision. I remember it. That was the longest time I had to wait. I'm like, okay, if I don't get it, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. Right. If I, they don't say I qualify, then I may have to be stuck here for another year or two or three because I need to redo my research, right? right. So thankfully, I opened the door. He said, congratulations, Nike. You graduate. I want you to stay for PhD. I'll give you a full ride. And I remember telling him, because again, I know exactly what I wanted to do. I know my mission. Right. Graduate and go start making money and stop educating yourself. Because the goal of education is to enter into the real world and really get a job and make money. 
And I kind of declined and said, Jim, I would love to do that. However, I really need to get out and make some money. I mean, that That's my answer. It's kind of funny, but I, sincerely, that was my mission. Right. So once I got into corporate world, I remember listening to one of your previous uh, podcast uh, guests, Mercedes. It was our last year. Mm-hmm. I remember she has three and um, computer science degree or something. And then her first job is to update a website. And then she explained, you know, as somebody like us, we just need to get our foot into the door. You don't say, oh my goodness, this below my pay grade. I, yep. mm-hmm. If someone opened the door for you, you get in. Okay. So that was my thing. I had the hardest time to find a job. I share my Which story. One? So were you using both? What, what was your first job? With my first job was humbly a not on many door. It was a AT&T broadband uh, at the time. Um, I was a contractor. I was paid per hour. And that job, um, the title was database administration. So behind the scene is um, configuring uh, the Nephali system. So you kind of enter data in a different way so that the database will process it and et cetera. I don't want to get into all the technical detail, but what? Really, that job, even my son can do. My son is pretty smart. He's 10. Okay? If you can follow instruction, you read and you type, and that's all it is required. And you would think, wow, that's a lowly job. Hey, I got a job. I got my job. Okay? So it was a six-month thing. They couldn't extend me. Okay, so I cry again. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I need to find a job. Um, so, again, um, Something came up and, and I worked at Lucent back in the day. Lucent technology and it really taught me a lesson. Um, they really appreciate people, you know, Bell Labs at the time. Uh, they want people who are super like educated, STEM, and they respect that and they treat you like that. Right. So that was my job. I became a software engineer. So I, again, I want the listener to understand. That's what I wanted many years before that. And I finally get it. It wasn't a straight path. No, never is. So especially for um, immigrant professionals, our path is less straight than others. Yes, exactly. I know. And and I was going to say that, that sometimes other people do experience it too, but especially for immigrants, because of the certain barriers that are already in place, right? With, With documentation, with papers, with a lack of awareness, lack of exposure. There are certain barriers that are there, but when you keep that vision ahead of you, as you said, it can guide you to say yes to things that might look crazy when other people think about it, because I know where I'm going. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's kind of, you can kind of hear the thing, which is very common among um, immigrant professionals, especially those come here by themselves, not with their family. Right. So that even among those uh, immigrant professionals, they're a different type. Right. right. And, and even if you if you need to come here with family and you are born to immigrant parents. Yes. That's yes. almost the same thing as being an immigrant without your family because, yes, because you, you are blazing new trails, new yes. paths for your family. Yeah. Unfortunately, they, they don't have that experience to guide you. It's guide. the guiding piece. Exactly. Right. So so fast forward. So I would say the first 10 years or I think my turning point was 2011. So I kind of fast forward. I did a larger job to give your listener an idea. I was a database administrator, system administrator, software engineer, um, a system analyst. So anything you can think of in the software development world, I've done. OK. And a lot of stuff in IT as well. So, and then I came to another point, another turning point of my career. I'm like, I, I don't see myself fitting in. I, I, I'm thrilled with all these technology and all that. I was really good, but I felt like I, I keep hopping one job to the next. I'm like, it just doesn't feel right. Because remember, I was born artist. I never become an artist because my parents told me not to. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's impossible. You don't become an artist, right? So, um, so I remember, I'm like, okay, if nothing, um, if I don't make a change, that was the end of 2010. If I don't make any changes, I'm ready to walk away from this corporate America, this dream of mine, because I'm totally disappointed by the system. Um, I don't know what to do, but I'm ready to give up everything. 
and walk away and just see what happened. So, and then something um, miraculously, miraculously came. Um, at, the, at that particular company, um, the new CTO said, everybody need to go agile. So, which is very common in software industry, go agile, even way back, um, maybe less popular, less, uh, less common. But I'm like, okay, I don't know what that thing is. I remember my boss asked the whole team of like 12 people, uh, who is willing to be a scrum master, to be a change leader and lead agile? I had no clue what that is. I just raised my hand. I think anything is a change. Yeah. And I thought it's like a technical project manager. I'm like, okay, I, I can be a project manager. Again, at the time I was so desperate. I'm like so discouraged. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do something else. And it turns out it just changed my life. I was in a class 2011. I still remember January 12th, 2011. I learned about Scrum, the Agile culture, and it gave me hope because that's the exact culture and vision of what a workplace should be. And if people do it right, again, I want to say quantify it. It's already have DEI in it. We respect everybody. Everybody has a voice and uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, oh my goodness, that's so great. Why didn't I know about this? And other people did not see it. I was in a class of 21 students. I was the only person saw that. So I became a change agent, uh, agile transformation coach. And another funny thing, right? I'm, I'm so glad I'm so naive. I read two books in two weeks and turned around and trained my entire team how to go agile and train my business partners, stakeholder, like all the finance people at the time, like 50 people. I had no formal training being a trainer. Okay. I just know how to use PowerPoint. So I just made it happen. And since then I've, I've taught like hundreds of people. It was never my full-time job. Mm. Never. I changed company. It was never my full-time job. So another point I, I want to share is a critical in, in my journey is 2012. So I've been like rocking in, in, in the space, led two teams without authority, doing super well. But my career was kind of stagnant. Okay, I, I had my vision to be maybe in charge of something like glamorous as um, agile excellence, center of excellence, something like that, kind of like a PMO type of deal. Um, I remember, so that I was smarter now at that time. Okay, less naive, a little bit smarter, and so I reached out to people in my company like people in power and, and I'm drawn to them. I remember I, I said I had a one-on-one -on -one with a, you know, important uh, senior vice president of um, engineering. And I, I told him what I wanted to do. I, I want to be in charge of agile transformation, right? I mean, I look much younger than now, but imagine somebody looked like me and, and had a bold statement like that. And he said, Ike, um, this is really good. However, for our company, our department, we cannot afford to have that position. So we'll never be able to uh, create a position like that. Even though we are kind of doing something similar, but it's like everybody is doing a part-time job, but not a single person or a team of people. That's what they're doing. So I, I, I need to thank him for that because, because of what he said to me, I made a decision. I need to change up, first of all. And second, I'm going to get into management. Because I'm always in the back of my head, I'm like, maybe people management is, is the next move, right? I think a lot of us, as we progress in our career, that is a natural progression. Right. Right? So I'm like, okay, again, I made a decision. I have no clue what that means. <laughs> and I applied for one job and I got in. I became a senior engineering manager. I was never a manager before, but because of everything I've done, yeah. I led without authority. So how powerful is that? I led teams to produce without any authority. So my, the hiring manager at the time, Gary, I need to thank him. He saw something in me that I didn't see. He had faith in me. It wasn't even like giving me a chance because I asked him afterward. 
He said, well, you had all these um, credentials. You let him without authority. If I give you authority, you, you can do anything. And under him, my, my career kind of thrived. And yeah, so it, it was really good. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. Is Sometimes we get stuck in that individual contributor, technical role side, especially when, you know, in, in tech, where you are the only in a lot of spaces, you just want to keep your head down and keep doing the good job uh, because you don't see a lot of people leading people in the space you are in. Um, so, no, thank you for sharing that. And, and I, I'm letting you just talk because I love hearing how you are sharing your experience and you are bringing out the insights and the story. Yes, yes, because I, I really thought about, okay, what part of my story should I share enough to to help the listener to say, oh, yeah, I, I can learn something or, oh, yeah, I was like that before, etc. right? So, um, so very brief, I had a health scare in 2016. So that was... Uh, uh, it shook the core of me, right? As an overachiever, top performer, run, 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 right? Have a young family, uh, working, um, we have working couple, working mom, you, you can kind of see, you know, relate to that. And um, so something happened. It led me to believe that I only, I could only live for a few weeks. So oh, it was wow. that bad, okay? On the surface, look fine. So because of that, it kind of made me think about, okay, if I only have three weeks to live, what would I do? My, my children were still very young, right? I'm the person who cook in a family. Um, so, and I, I could hardly walk. I have joint pain and all that. And my thing was, I, I couldn't even go to Hong Kong to visit my family, right? Let's say I die in my parents' house, like not even an option. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna stand in my kitchen and cook for my family and teach my husband how to cook. And hopefully my daughter kind of see me and still remember me. And that was my wish. And of course I didn't die. And because of that, I kind of changed my lifestyle and eat less processed food and sleep more and kind of recover from that damage of years of like lack of sleep and stress and all that. Just walk, 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 walk. That keep walking yes because we, we have that mentality because right uh, another aspect i want to share is i'm a very quiet person you hear me talking like this you would not know but i was very quiet before 2011 remember i explained my turning point i put myself into position that forced me to talk every day mm-hmm. forced me to host meeting before that if people knew me before that they wouldn't even know I'm in the room in a meeting. You, you always see those people, right? Like they, they don't sit at the table. They sit along the wall and they wouldn't speak up. Or if they speak up, they're kind of timid or um, they, I don't know. It's just all that. So I, I, again, I want the listener to understand it's a long journey. Right. It took me a long time to come out of my shell. Right. So, cause I, I deliberately know that in this country, United States of America, the system is different than what I was used to in Hong Kong. In this country, people like to talk. If you don't talk, um, it's like a negative, um, something negative about you. Yes, I am a cat lover. I, I was called, like I was told by an um, engineering director, look at me in my, in my eyes. Like, I you you're quiet as a mouse. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a cat lover. Why would I want to be a mouse? But I got what he was trying to tell me. Mm. So he taught me something. He wasn't trying to like make me feel bad. Or... I never cry at work, first of all. <laughs> if I cry, I cry in my car or at home, right? Um, I'm like, I got it. I'm like, oh my goodness. He, he just gave me a wisdom of how to succeed in this country because the system is different. So that's why I made my decision to, okay, well, if... I need to talk. I have to put myself in a position that forced me to talk. Mm-hmm. So after talking for those, that many years, this is what you get. But before that, I'll be some of the co-worker. You look at them like, oh my God, I feel sorry to the person. The person is so smart. And mm-hmm. oh my God, I wish the person would open their mouth and share the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so as I, I, 
I got into like more talking, of course. Um, another thing I, I want to share. Um, so before I, I talk too much at work or talk enough, um, people ignore me and all that. I wasn't even visible. I think a lot nowadays people talk about in, being invisible at work. So I was those, like invisible, right? <laughs> they didn't even know I exist. <laughs> um, so once I, I started to host meeting, talk more, and I stand up for myself and my people, other people, etc. I started to get like some people that don't think it's generalized. I get it every day. No, there were occasions I, I was told to shut up. I was told to not allow to ask questions. Um, again, I work in a very much male dominant industry, tech industry. So, so I want listener to understand when you kind of speak up, share your idea. Some people may not, may not like it. Right. It may not be personal, whatever that is. So I, I thank those people because they challenged me to share my idea and know how to present myself better, articulate in a way that is maybe, um, I wouldn't say aggressive. I, I don't think I'm aggressive, but in a way that connect with people. I started to deliberately use humor. Because when people laugh, I always say, if people like me, they love me. If people dislike me, they dislike me less. Right. Really? I mean, it's sad to say that's my strategy. It works. Because right. my mom is always funny. So I have a funny bone in me. So, oh my gosh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so kind of fast forward. So, since that uh, life, you know, events that kind of make me think that, okay, I kind of cheated death. Right, because anyone who who goes through that life changing event, they they started to evolve as a human. And for me, it's like um, I, I feel like I, I need to use my talent to serve other people, but I didn't know how. Right, I was stuck in corporate, really good job, well paying, my career was progressing, um, but I always keep in the back of my mind what am I good at? Mm-hmm. Um, started to learn many things, self development, coaching, and all that. And then um, 2020, so even before COVID hit, that urge was like very strong, like four, almost four years after the incident. I'm like, okay, I really need to be serious about this thing, right? Um, I need to make a decision. So I deliberately did a lot of um, like self-development work, hire coaches outside work to help me and uh, very brief. So... I had an assignment for my art teacher. I was never a painter, okay? And she gave me an assignment, paint on a 30 inch by 40 inch canvas. It's gigantic, if you think about it, for somebody who never painted before, like you don't paint. Um, The assignment was paint success, success, S-U-C-C-E-S-S, paint it. That assignment gave me so much clarity on what the true success looked like for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, that painting had no money on it. So that gave me the clarity to just, okay, this is it. This is the time I started to plan my exit. And I exit September 11, 2020. And before that, because I, I wanted to have more skill, I signed up for brain-based coaching. So I was looking for coaching. So another point I, I want kind of listener to hear, always look at your gift. Always look at your gifts and talent. What's natural to you, other people tell you you're good at. Because when you're naturally good, you don't think it's a big deal. Okay? When you're naturally good, you don't think it's a big deal. So I, I know what I'm good at. So then at that time, I was debating, should I be a therapist or a coach? And then I started to, you know, connect with people who, who were coaches, not therapists, or people who kind of have therapy training. And then I, I decided that I think coaching is the best for me because my goal, again, mission, right? So what is my intention to become a coach? I want to move people from point A today to point B. So always look at the future. I really can care less your upbringing, your, you know, what happened to you. I'm not interested in that. I am interested in helping you, guiding you, unleash your potential and help you shine 
from this point on to the future. So that was my why to become a coach. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, I mean, your journey has, your journey has definitely taken a lot of turns and, and I love that. I think if you had just told the story and then started to end with strategies, it wouldn't be as impactful as the fact that for each season, each chapter of your career, you, you kind of um, showcase to us what helped me get from here to here. And then when I get here, what did I do? Then what helped me get from here to here? So I, I think for people listening, it's really understanding that it's not, it's not, you know, people make it seem like you, you are at this age and you want to be this, and then you go for this. Sometimes, you know, you get clear on your vision, your big vision, and then the step-by-step step can continue to look different. You have to be willing to take, you know, step in, step in, keep going, keep learning, um, keep saying yes to opportunities. Yes. Keep saying, saying yes. yes. Yeah. Keep saying yes to opportunities. Don't, don't lose your big vision, but the journey to get there can look very different. So even I was, you know, where you said um, the things people really think you're good at, I, I was thinking of myself when I was in corporate too. I was thinking, I don't really have any talent, you know? Um, and I remember I got so many comments about speaking when I couldn't even call myself a speaker. Like I used to think I don't have any talent. And people will be like, oh, you know, you go for that meeting. You lead the meeting you present to that VP and, you know, for me, that came very natural, right? Like I can put my bullet points together in my head and then say, this is what I want to go and achieve, but I have to tell them this. I have to tell them this. I have to tell them this. I can put a talk together in my head for the conversation quickly. Um, I didn't have to think, I didn't have to prep. I love doing interviews, but I didn't see it as a strength. And, and so that's, that's what you're saying is sometimes we miss out on what we want because of, what society or our parents or everybody defines as success, um, especially in corporate America based on titles. Yes, yes, very much so. And, so, and more so in Asia, I believe. Yeah, that, that's like a hierarchical. So. Hierarchical, yes, yeah. yes. I had I, a very hierarchical. I, I think my experience in corporate America is less of that, but it's still. Uh, one thing I want to touch on is uh, I, I want to share the way I see. Everything is a system. Okay, so Hong Kong is a system. It was designed for Hong Kong people, right? Probably uh, a few people design it, like it was British colony, so it was designed by British people, right, in charge to benefit a small group, but, you know, uh, operate for Hong Kong people, for example. So always keep that in mind. Right. So when I moved to this country, it's a different system. It's a different system, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, is it designed for people like me, Aiki, from Hong Kong? Of course not. If I expect that, I'll be very disappointed. Right. That's unreasonable. Right. So that's another point I, I want to share. Maybe a different perspective to look at everything as a system. But corporate America is a system. Each company is a system. Not two, No two companies in the United States are alike, right? If you think about that. Forget about culture. Don't talk about culture. It, it's not helpful. Let's look at the system you're in, who created it, and of course, it's probably benefit, not all, they try, but it almost never works. Um, if you are the, the, um, the lucky group that the system was designed for people like you, you benefit more. And I happen to be always outside of those groups. <laughs> and um, so I, I need to use my resourcefulness and strategy to navigate and keep adding value because the overlapping piece is if you keep adding value, the system will, will be friendly to you. Think about that. So I want everybody to think about what you're good at. How can you add value? That's perfect. Uh, and I think that's a great way to wrap this up. For you, if you're listening, I mean, Aki's session has really made a lot of deep thinking. If you need to pause and go back and re-listen to some of these points, uh, really think about it. Thank you so much for coming. And, and chatting with us. You can follow our, our socials will be on the episode uh, notes so that you can continue to follow Aiki and, and learn all about our work uh, that she's currently doing, putting all of these experiences and, and this parts together to make a difference for people now who are within these systems, right? Um, so before I end, I, I like to ask one, one uh, 
food question because <laughs> I'm always talking to people from everywhere. So, Aki, yes. if you were to share a dish with someone from your home country, what will you pick and why? Especially somebody in your, you know, workplace environment. What oh, food yeah. will you yes, pick? I, I would take them all to a Tim Sum restaurant. Ah. And share Tim Sum. It is very uh, like a community activity. Is is happy, joyful. You share. You you sit around a big table of ten or twelve round table. You have a rotating thing on the table, and you just share. So, not a particular dish, but like dim sum in general. In general. I, I would do that because it has almost everything for everybody because mm-hmm. it's such a uh, wide variety. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So now we just need to get together and go have some dim sum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. It was so nice talking to you. And um, thank you. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for this very uh, rich conversation. And uh, looking forward to hearing more about your work, Aiki. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.